Welcome to Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival dance artists and teachers. I'm Lindsay LaPointe, media supervisor for the festival. This is part two, featuring the musicians here at the Bates Dance Festival. We return back to the Gendron Franco Center to hear the remaining music pieces that were presented. So I'm a dance musician, Glenn Fitton, and uh, my focus is voice, percussion, um, piano, harmonicas, things of that sort, so yeah. And I guess this is my uh, 14th year at the festival. I had to think about that, yeah. So my piece uh, is uh, actually a piece that belongs to my teacher, also named Glenn, uh, Glenn Velez, and it was written in 1987. I believe, or 88, and uh, that also appears on his uh, album or CD, whatever you call it, called Seven Heaven, and uh, that's a piece I've always liked of his, and I uh, always wanted to do a version of that. I finally got to do a version last year um, with his group, um, and after not playing with him for having played with, or played with him for many years, uh, got back together with his uh, former students and some of my old bandmates from that group and uh, we did a version of that so it was uh, sort of inspired by that reforming of that group. But that was also um, uh, set up by a solo that I started on the Rick and that's an Egyptian tambourine um, that I started that piece with and uh, that's a little solo I you know sort of been doing a version of that for the last few years and uh, that's uh, yeah that's sort of an ancient instrument that uh, I'm sort of been focused on that's another side interest of mine uh, apart from being a dance musician and rock musician and Broadway musician and everything else I had this other side um, interest in uh, tambourines and frame drums from other cultures and uh, that continues to this day and that was you know, one of the drums that I focused on was this Egyptian rick, which is, you know, it's a rather tedious instrument to work, you know, to, to develop skills on, so, yeah. A tambourine really has been around for a few thousand years, versions of it, and uh, mostly the version that we know is the frame drum without jingles, and that you'll see mostly associated with uh, women uh, playing it, and uh, you'll see that on ancient uh, Greek and Roman vase uh, depictions um, that uh, have been found, you know, in shipwrecks and things like that throughout the Mediterranean, reconstructed, and you'll see usually there are depictions of either Dionysian or Bacchanalian cults that originated around that time, and there are always women holding a drum with one hand under and playing the side or the front with their hand with this sort of split hand technique. So. That's a, a, re a really long history, actually. Yeah. And I think that it's hard to say. It's not for me to really uh, speak about um, with any conviction, because I'm not qualified, but I'm sure some ethnomusicologist could tell you how that tambourine or how that evolved from you know, the Mediterranean down into Egypt, or vice versa. I'm not sure how that goes. But yeah, it's mostly associated with women. You start to see the, the symbols added around 200 A.D., yeah. And uh, 
prior to that, you don't really, see, there were bells and maybe some symbols, but most of the time you, you definitely see them around 200 AD. You know. And then before that, you would always see pairs of finger symbols being clapped, double flute and a frame drum player. So yeah, the little finger symbols we see belly dancers use with one hand. Sometimes you'd see depictions of those being played by one person. So at least according to my research, and you know, I've heard from others. But yeah, so there's a really long, cool history, really interesting history, really. Yeah, and that still exists to to this day. The interesting thing that you'll notice is that when you go to Egypt, you'll find that that tradition really has been around for quite a long time, thousands of years. But then if you go to southern Italy, that hand position on the Tarantella uh, uh, performances played on those drums or the um, any of the other frame drums styles in Greece usually have this I, the same positions and the hand placement as you see on those vase depictions from uh, Dionysian cults thousands of years ago. It's almost played the same, same way. But in, in, uh, in Israel or in uh, Hebrew text, it's referred to as tof. And tof Miriam refers to Miriam's drum. Um, and they think that was a, a, a drum a little bit larger that did have symbols. Mm -hmm. But it's mentioned in the British version or English version as a timbrel. But we think it's probably some sort of frame drum and probably had jingles. Yeah. So the tof Miriam is the one being held and played by hand. The tof actually by itself is what we know as the darbukas. So, yeah, so that's the sort of Hebrew reference of that. So yeah, Carl picks it up playing uh, the kalimba part, which is what we know to be sort of like a thumb piano, and it's tuned in a rough pentatonic tuning. And then uh, it evolves with uh, me joining, and then Terence joining on darbuka, which is like a goblet-shaped drum. And then I believe the rest of the rest of the ensemble follows. It's an interesting piece because it's in uh, uh, odd meter, uh, which is seven four. And then there's other vers uh, other um, faster cycles or rhythmic cycles of seven going on at the same time. So it's it's kind of an interesting piece. The drums are playing one cycle that's just, I think twice as fast as the winds and the uh, accordion and uh, the violin. The first piece I'm doing is just a basic Rick solo, and then that segues into Seven Heaven. Uh, and again, that's by my teacher, Glenn Bellas.
Uh, my name is Peter Jones. Yeah, so I've been coming to the Bates Dance Festival for 26 years. I think someone asked me the other night, and I um, nailed it down to 26. I took two years off around 2000. Anyways, um, so, you know, I, I've been a musician here since really early on, and um, in those days there were only three musicians, and so I've seen the thing grow a lot. And as time has gone on, I've sort of morphed into the ballet guy, which is ironic because I mostly play modern, you know, in my own life. But I mean, I can play ballet, obviously, so I've been serving the festival that way for many years. I sort of help other things along, too, you know. It's not music director, but, you know, make sure everything gets in place. So this piece was in three sections. First section was was an improvisation that I chose to do with sort of in the last minute. And it was based on a very strange scale that had uh, very chromatic. It had major thirds and minor thirds. And uh, Bela Bartok, who's an incredible Hungarian composer from the 20th century, is some loosely based on uh, some of his melodies. And then um, I used a two-hand, cross-hand technique and um, you know, it was meant to open up in a sort of a dramatic and rhythmic way. And then the second section was what we would call a dirge or an adagio. And Jesse and I had never really done anything, t just the two of us. And so I broke it up with this swell. I opened it with a swell, and I s op came back to this swell, this big, loud sound. And then it was just these very slow triads, and Jesse came in on the flute. And that was just meant to set up the last movement, which was... Um, you know, very rhythmic piece, which I wrote when I was 22 years old, and the guys heard it. I, I wasn't sure I was going to do it, and I wrote it when I was studying in Boulder for my teacher, and I was studying Af West African music at that time. And so the piece is based on a bell pattern, it's based on that pattern, the whole little piece. But it was intense to play that since I had written it when I was 22 years old, you know, and uh, so that was it. And so those, there were three movements, so fast, slow, and then fast and um, yeah it meant a lot to play that piece even though I, I kind of didn't want to do it but we did it and it used in the day you know it was a really important piece for me but it was really fun to to pull something out of the hat from so long ago you know so I've for, for many years on this concert I've always called my piece a fragment and I called it fragment 22 because I wrote it the, the last movement when I was 22 years old so I usually do this weird play but what it also does because I'm a composer and an improviser if I'm stuck on the day of the show, I can, I can, you know, if you name a piece that you have to play, as I'm playing this, whatever the name of the piece is, this has always allowed me the freedom to shift if I want to, if that makes any sense. But I like the idea of fragment because, you, you know, uh, John Cage had, had uh, a term he called landscapes. You know, for me, fragment is, you know, it's always a fragment of an, uh, not necessarily an idea. Some things are fully fleshed out, but I like the idea because of this concert, the way it's set up and you know, this yearly concert, and it's just always allowed me a certain freedom, you know. It's a fragment of my life at this time, you know.
My name is Rob Flax, and this is my ninth summer at the Bates Dance Festival in some capacity. The song I performed this year is one that I wrote for this performance. It's titled We Can't Do It Alone, and I use the musician's concert as a vehicle for making new work every summer. There are a lot of dance companies that are here at the Bates Dance Festival as artists in residence, working on new pieces, performing existing repertoire and developing it further. I try to do the same thing with my own songwriting and composition. Um, so pretty much every summer now, I attempt to finish a new song at the Bates Dance Festival. Usually the musician's concert is about halfway through the festival, so I have a week, a week and a half once I've settled here to pause, unwind, reflect, take advantage of the slower pace of vacation land and find moments to slip away and write new music. So this was a song that all of the lyrics were composed here. Um, the chord progression that I had been working on was something that I came up with during an improvisation several months ago, and it's one of those sort of fragments of a, of a piece that I hadn't turned into anything yet. It was uh, a lingering uh, reminder that there was definitely a song here, but I hadn't found it yet. I have a friend who describes songwriting and tune writing as not composing or writing songs, but catching them as if they are in the air and you have to be present and, and wait for them to arrive. And, um, I know that's not entirely true because I managed to crank something out on deadline every time here, <laughs> but the ones that feel really magical, um, there's an air of that to it. There's a, there's a mystery. There's a, you have to create the conditions for it to arrive. The lyrics of it, um, the chorus is, we can't do it alone, over and over again, and that came partially out of the conditions of the musician's concert itself. Um, the past several years I've done a solo performance and I blamed it on the procrastination simply saying I want as much time here as possible to finish writing this song uh, and therefore I don't want to put the burden on the other musicians. So instead I'm going to just use my looper and become a one-man band. Well this year every other piece on the concert was an ensemble piece. Everything was involved with everyone. Everybody was playing on everybody's piece. And so I thought, well, maybe this year I could have a collaborative effort. And this particular chord progression seemed right for the skills and the sounds and the flavors and the, the magical energies of the other musicians who were here. I knew that this particular sound would work with these musicians. That's part of some of my internal wrestling that I do and why I perform solo so much is I want to make things that not everybody is ready to make with me. <laughs> and so I'm really picky about who I collaborate with most of the time. But this song and this chord progression seemed right for my brothers here, my, my longtime friends who have been here year after year. And I know their music well and I trust them and I know that for this particular sound that I wanted, they had exactly what I needed. And so, We Can't Do It Alone was a useful 
phrase that was sort of born out of that, but also then became a rallying cry for many, many other things. I've had a bit of a, a funk about me since November 2016, and uh, found myself very frustrated with the state of affairs in the United States of America. And so part of this song is a, a call to action. It's a rallying cry. It's a reminder that oftentimes in these feelings of despondency and challenge, we can still make meaningful, impactful change, but certainly not by ourselves. Um, I've been thinking too more about the amount of time I've performed solo and how do I build community in spite of that? And, you know, do I want to perform with a regular band or a company of musicians or have more performers participating and collaborating? There's something magical about that that cannot uh, be replicated as a solo performance, even with technology and ways to create a massive amount of sound. There's something very special about the collaborative element. And so this song was a tribute to that, uh, a call to arms, maybe a little bit of a love song, you know, a couple other things going on in there too. So, um, but literally all of the words were written here, most of them sitting beside the pond behind Olin uh, <laughs> on Saturday night. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, that's the gist of it, I guess. I think it turned out okay. What's a guy to do? I can't see inside your mind. Who am I to say it's all gonna be okay? We are blind leading the blind.
Troubled times we've all seen the sun. There is poison in the well. We never rush for pain, but we drink the water all the same. Feels like there's no one here to help, but there's a better way.
podcast was produced by the Bates Dance Festival out of Bates College. Editing was done by myself, Lindsay LaPointe. The intro and outro song was composed by Glenn Fitton. For more information about Peter Jones, visit jonescord.com. And for Rob Flax, visit robflax.com. To find out more about the Bates Dance Festival, visit batesdancefestival.org.